Hello everyone, welcome to IT Tech Talk. I'm your host, Joel Ward, and with me today is Sagi. Sagi co-founded WebAir in 1998 and is now the CTO at Opti9. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me, Joel. Good. It's been, it's an honor. It's an honor. Um, so tell me a little bit about Opti9 and, and WebAir. First, let's start off with WebAir. You, you co-founded that in 1998. What is WebAir and, and what got you into co-founding a company in 1998? Uh, sure. Uh, well, uh, so WebAir, um, WebAir actually turned into Optinine, um, okay. about two years ago, but, uh, the way WebAir started was, um, I, I met, um, I, I met who would, would become the CEO uh, of WebAir, um, in 98. We were both working at a, an internet company and, um, I was a tech guy and I was going to college at the time. And, um, the CEO, his name was, was Mike. He, um, you know, he, he really kind of saw the writing on the wall and the market changing okay. with the dot com and a need. Uh, it was sort of the Wild West and uh, people, you know, our, his friends, our friends, you know, were looking to start websites. And back then, you know, hosting was was there was maybe three or four hosting companies. And so he started hosting and designing sites for friends, his friends. And uh, after some convincing, he asked me to join him. And um, OK quit college and um, we kind of just rode the, the dot-com wave in a positive way and um, eventually we we sort of found our place in the market and we kind of pivoted towards um, enterprise customers and providing really managed um, hybrid cloud services and uh, really customized bespoke um, offerings around management of private cloud and networking and okay. AWS um, and then a huge business around um, backup and disaster recovery. Um, okay. We sold that business to a private equity firm about two years ago. So because um, it was doing so well that, you know, we really sort of wanted to take it to the next level. Um, and then we merged with another company and turned into Optini. And today we're really doing essentially the same thing, but on a larger scale. And we support okay. many of the platforms. We support security offerings. We support multiple clouds. Um, we're in additional regions and just happy to see it grow and be able, you know, every time I think there's no more runway or, or we've done everything we can do in the industry, you know, technology keeps evolving. Okay. Well, that's, you know, I was, you were talking about the dot com thing. So 1998, you know, that was when Amazon kind of got its wings and, and grew. So were you, you were along with the ride with a, a lot of these major tech companies today? Yeah, I mean, they, they all kind of have, you know, I mean, some of the most of them had pretty modest roots, you know, and I remember, um, I remember when we first started running Apache as a, a web server mm -hmm. uh, with FreeBSD. And at the time, you know, Yahoo was probably the biggest site, you know, I mean, much more important than it is today, I would say. And, um, you know, I, I felt a level of comfort using it because they, you know, they were using it and they were pushing the project and, you know, certainly back then Amazon was just a, an online, online bookstore. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, obviously a lot of the dot coms failed, but, you know, as we're seeing probably in crypto, you know, you kind of have to go through, through some reshuffling and, mm -hmm. you know, some, some bets work out and some don't. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's fine. It's like, I look at it like I was um eight years old then. <laughs> so I wasn't even uh, old enough to know about that, you know, or investing or, or putting money into those portfolios that grew uh, substantially for some people, you know, but like, it, it sounds like, you know, what you guys did took off and you ended up having a successful thing. And you just said you just sold that company. And now you have Opti9 is your new is your new company, correct? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I stayed on as, as a CTO, um, and now we're a much bigger organization. We're about 150 people. Okay. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting because you mentioned Amazon, and at some point, you know, Amazon Web Services, AWS, obviously came into the marketplace, and a lot of hosting companies were like, okay, well, you know, wow, that's going to be the future. That's cloud. Like, what about mm-hmm. us? And I think there was this huge shift. Um and that was the case. You know, I think we had an identity crisis. I think a lot of companies went out of business because of that. Um, yeah. And then we saw kind of the pendulum swing back a little bit. And, you know, it wasn't about what cloud are you going to go all in with or what's your cloud strategy? It was what, you know, you know, hedging our bet. You know, this these workloads work well in this cloud and these other use cases work better in that cloud. And for this, I'm going to put it on a private cloud. And so we started getting back business. And now our, our story is kind of like having the workloads best interest at heart putting it in the right spot based upon its own unique requirements for latency or security uh, or perpetuality. And one of the things that I realized throughout that identity crisis was that I think our value proposition in the marketplace is, you know, we, we are providing managed services, which is a, a term that is just as vague as the term cloud. Everybody mm-hmm. says they do managed services, right? And, and so part of what I'm working on right now is actually trying to articulate through our customer portals and our interfaces what 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 does that mean? What mm-hmm. what can you hold us accountable to? What can you expect from us? What are the SLAs? What are the how do the the RACI matrix change dynamically? Um, and I think that's where our value is, right? It's yeah, it's the wrapper of managing, monitoring, securing, and scaling around infrastructure. And as long as we can keep pace with the infrastructure, if it's public cloud or Kubernetes or Outpost or Azure Stack, as long as we can keep pace with the new technology there will be a place and a need for these managed service providers, especially as things become more com- complicated and organizations yeah. just don't have the capability to manage them. So I, I see here it says hybrid cloud. For for those um, of my listeners that don't know what hybrid cloud means, could you explain what a hybrid cloud uh, is in the definition? Yeah, I mean, so as I was saying before, um, you know, maybe 10 years ago, maybe eight years ago, people would say, people would come out and say, we're going all in with Amazon. Mm-hmm. Or we're we're going all in with Microsoft Azure. You know that's our strategy. And then, um, as I said before, sometimes you know you, you do that, and then you realize, you know what, it, you know Amazon's a great a great home for sixty percent of my workloads, but mm-hmm. the other forty percent is just not the right fit. So then they say, well, maybe I need more than one cloud, or maybe the public cloud is not even the right home for specific use cases. For instance, we have some, um, we have some. Um, what are they called? Law enforcement customers. And, and they are like, we can't use the cloud. We we don't want our, our evidence to cross state lines. You know, it needs to be in the state. Yeah. So therefore we can't use cloud. It's like, well, you know what? Hey, we have facilities in the state. We can run private connectivity. We can provide you sovereignty with the cloud. So hybrid cloud just means it's like a hedge. It just means that we are going to have a strategy of not using only one platform. We are going to have a strategy like more important, like it's a, it's it's less about what cloud we're going to use and more about how do we build a reference architecture for our security and our network so that if and when we want to use multiple clouds or platforms, we can. How do we allow ourselves that flexibility, but but can still hold ourselves true to our own security frameworks and our network integrations? Yeah. So AWS has become AWS and Azure have become a very big public, you know, thing. And everybody's, 
either one way or another, you know, and, and, and I've seen my, my dad's company went with AWS, uh, for to host their platforms and stuff that they're doing with their, their, um, their app and development and stuff, you know, but like when it comes to like, you know, using AWS and is, is the portal and even Azure is the portal and the availability and the ease of use. Is it there? Is it, that's why I ask you, is, is, is it easy to use all these or is it, is it better to use your system? Well, that's a good question. Um, the, the answer to that is, it's a great question. It, it really depends on what you have an appetite to take ownership for, Mm -hmm. you know, um, AWS and Azure and the other hyperscalers, they are like, it's like walking into Home Depot. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have all of the tools you need to build, um, you know, and all the tools and materials you need to build amazing things. But you have, you are responsible to piece them all together and make sure they work well and secure them and all that other stuff. Um, And, and for many companies, that's perfect. That's great. They have these very large app, app dev teams or infrastructure teams. And that's exactly what they need to build scalable mm-hmm. businesses like Netflix. Other companies, you know, they, they, you know, and this is what every company should do, sit down and, and figure out what, what do you have an appetite to take responsibility for? Do you want to be responsible and accountable for your cybersecurity? Do you want to be responsible to ensure that your backups are running properly or that your disaster recovery works? Mm-hmm. You know, some, like I said, for some many big companies, sure, no problems. For others, they're like, no, we want we want our IT teams focused on adding value to the business. Um, and so that's what it comes down to. So it's very, it's there's no right or wrong. It really depends on the persona of the organization. Well, but what we do is we simplify it. We will take ownership of all that. We will translate your human requirements into SLAs. You're going to hold us accountable to a service level um, and, and to resilience and uptime instead of just infrastructure. So let's talk about cost analysis then. Is it more beneficial like for companies to do that SLA route than it would be to go with AWS and pay for their own cybersecurity? Uh, I mean, let's let's be real here. Like, w- would companies rather pay for their own cybersecurity or would they rather have that knowledge of having, I have a whole dev team and stuff, or not dev team, but like a whole team behind me with SLAs and, and ready to go for me on a moment's notice? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think that if, if you were to go and hire just for that specific use case, then um, it, it's it's not going to be worth it for you. You're going to be paying more. And, you know, just, you know, maintaining that, you know, that level of, um, of expertise is, is even just difficult today in, mm-hmm. in the marketplace. Um, but if you're a big organization and you already have people that are in the business of managing security and the business of managing resilience, and this is just another platform for them, and maybe you're not necessarily hiring another head, then it, that's probably going to be the better route is to, is to keep it in house. I think in general, at a certain scale, it's always better to do it yourself. You are taking on more liability and ownership, but you know I think for most organizations, if you're if you're you know even a few hundred customers, um, or a few hundred employees, it's probably better to outsource. And then we even see lar- very large organizations sometimes outsource because of strictly the responsibility factor. You know, you, we want you guys to be in charge of our disaster recovery because we don't want to be responsible for it. It's too important. Or I've talked to CIOs of hospital that, that say I don't I don't want any servers on-prem anymore. I don't want to be the one on the hook if something bad happens. In yeah. fact, now we see with the government that they, you know, with um, the CEO of Drizzly and the CISO of Uber, you know, they're being personally penalized for, you know, security failings at the organization. So 
it's not about just protecting your your customers and, and your employees anymore. Now it's sort of about protecting yourself as, as an IT you know leader. So let's talk about locations. It says here you've got a couple different locations. Do you have uh, data centers? Is that what you kind of have as like a small mini data centers uh, that you host, or is it basically just you're the man, you're you, you're the MSP, you manage all this stuff? I think it's so depending on the regions, it, it can be sort of one or the other. We do own and operate some of our own physical data centers, okay, and we also do. You, you know, use our own bare metal and our own equipment and our own equipment and third-party facilities and our own network. Okay. Um, and a lot of it just comes down to the use case and the location um, and the types of customers that we're serving there. Lots of the uh, lots of the other countries that we're in globally, we ended up there because we have large organizations that are looking for us to own their 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 global services, but mm-hmm. maintain sovereignty into different countries. You know, with GDPR or just general data sovereignty. Gotcha. Okay, so so let's talk about bare metal, the bare metal thing you were just talking about. Let's. I want. I want. I want to know more about that. So when you say you operate your own bare metal stuff, does that mean you create your own server boxes to put in the other in these data centers to run your your software? Yeah, yeah, that runs our cloud. I mean, and that's all completely. Um, it's all completely transparent to the customer, right? They don't have to worry about the CPUs and the memory or all that. But we basically run virtualization. You know, we we, we run a lot of VMware. Okay. Many of the other technologies that we utilize um, are automatically integrated with it. Like when we, for instance, if you look if you look at offsite backups or offsite disaster recovery, that's a service that we sell. Where for our customers that are already running their own infrastructure on premises or at a co location or another cloud, uh, we can replicate from their production and we can keep offsite backups. We can provide them with a disaster recovery environment automatically, mm-hmm. um, an isolated recovery environment. Um, and we, we build it in a way that they can use it if they get hit with ransomware. We actually look at what's going on at their site too from the data mover and the backup software. And we can actually detect in some scenarios, you know, ransomware that's about to happen based on people in there trying to potentially delete backups or change retention settings, all sorts of interesting things. Okay. Uh, so. Within that, you how how many people do that? How many people are on like on call managing that? Like, is it a twenty four hour thing? You take shifts, uh, or what? What's the is it on call basis? Whenever a client calls and says, "Hey, my server's down," or I have a ransomware attack, how does that work? How does how does that system work when you have to go through all that stuff? Well, we are twenty four seven, and we ha- you know we're just you know in our industry you have to be, um, and yeah. we are twenty four seven. We have been for gosh, you know probably close to 20 years. Okay. Our, all of our technicians that are picking up the phones and the chats are all based in the United States. You know, we have some customers that are like defense contractors, you know, with export controller regulations, stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's, there's, you know, I don't know, 60, 70, you know, sort of technical folks who are in charge of that. And you mentioned if someone calls up and says their, their website's down or whatever. I mean, you know, we are monitoring for all that proactively too. So ideally we, we know about that before they do. And, we handle it and just let them know. Um, but we do that from running customers' production infrastructure. People that say, mm-hmm. I don't want to even own the hardware. I just I just want a third party to be accountable for it. And I'll just work on app dev. Mm-hmm. Um, or if it's the AWS environment, um, or if it's the backup or DR. Okay. What is your current uptime keeping keeping like as let's let's talk about numbers. That's what's your current uptime like as far as keeping centers open and, and live all the time? Have you been have you been able to keep the the numbers up and, and, and minimize downtime for servers and, and services? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think, I, you know, um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, you know, five nines, 99.999% is what's in our contracts with our, with our customers. And okay. if we don't maintain that, then we're issuing credits. And, um, you know, we are maintaining that. We haven't given out credits as far as I know uh, for any of that. And kind of like, it's sort of like table stakes in this industry. You, you need to do that in order to, if you don't do that, obviously you're not going to stay in business very long, but also... Yeah. You know, to the extent that that's important to customers, um, and the devil's in the detail, right? Typically, when people quote that that five nines number, mm-hmm. it's typically an asterisk, right? That's a network uptime. That's not going to speak to the applications. That's not going to speak to you know third party. Like, let's say your application only functions if Salesforce is working. You know, okay, Salesforce goes down. I can't help you with that. You know, so a lot that's of sale, yeah, because that's Salesforce's problem, <laughs> right? And a lot of let's see. The funny thing is. There's so many gotchas in this industry. You start talking about security and tax. It's like, well, I thought I was protected because, you know, I pay someone for security or I move my email to Office 365. I thought they, you know, the Microsoft must be giving me backups, you know, it's right. the cloud, you know, and there's just so many, so many gotchas. And so I'd say part of what we try to do is educate customers about all the bad assumptions in regards to the cloud. So let's go into your role as a CTO at, at Opti9. It, it says here you, you're responsible for product development and research and, and development, uh, and, and you have extensive experience in all those aspects. So talk a little bit more. What what do you do in your role? So you 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 manage all the different tools and techniques to help grow Opti9. Um, I wouldn't say I manage all, all the tools or the techniques. I think what we have we so we have people that are kind of. I used to do a lot of that myself, and now we have mm-hmm. people that are that are way smarter than me who okay. kind of you know. Are, are figuring out the how what we need to do I, I think where i'm where i'm trying to add value is you know there's a lot of noise in the marketplace and for a company like ours there's so many different directions that we can go and sometimes it's very difficult to kind of you know weed out the noise from what what we think is is going to be something that sticks and something that's legitimate and trying to understand to what extent can we add value to something mm-hmm. like um, you know, is there, is there a place, is there, is there, are people having challenges around those technologies? Um, I'll give you an example. You know, we've talked about hybrid cloud before, you know, if, if you're using one cloud, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, you know, compare using one cloud to using three clouds. I mean, you know, the, the more platforms you use and not just clouds, but clouds and, and SaaS platforms, you know, the, those platforms are all different components of your critical production environment, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you're making your environment more complex, right? And so I think one of the important parts of IT and where we can add value as a managed provider is helping customers maintain simplicity. One of the goals of IT these days should be to keep things as simple as possible. The more complex, the harder it is to, to monitor and manage them and make sure they're secure and resilient. So how do you balance simplicity with being able to use all these awesome cool features and platforms that are out there. You know, that's, I think, where the challenge is. And that's where we're trying to add value for our customers. Okay. Let's jump back to the 90s when uh, when you first started WebAir, you know, and you were and you were working, going to school and stuff. What made you really get into the tech industry? What made, what was that? I, I, your buddy, you know, he got you into that. But what, what made you want to jump into that? What was enticing about the tech industry for you, especially back in the 90s when it was really kind of just getting started? Yeah, so I was always interested in in, in tech, um, I, or you know, going back computers, right? Like doing like PC mm-hmm. gaming. Um, I was lucky that when I was thirteen, I got a, a compact computer, 
And okay. um, they happened to have a really good warranty at the time. And so I just had a, an, you know, I just had this desire to like mess with it and open it up and, you know, replace the memory or upgrade the CPU or put in a bigger hard drive. And um, undoubtedly I would break it and, and short the motherboard or whatever. And, <laughs> and they were really good. They'd send me a replacement. And so being able to, um, being able to learn and practice and fail on their dime, you know, that was fun you know, I enjoyed it. And then um, when, uh, when the internet, you know, started getting popular, you know, services like, like AOL or Prodigy, you know, obviously I, I, I jumped on that and bulletin boards. Um, and then, you know, one thing led to another, started using Linux and, and FreeBSD and uh, got involved in open source and, you know, all that world and programming. And I just really, really enjoyed it. And, and when, um, my future business partner approached me like, you know, I was going to college, I was going for computer science and mm-hmm. it was fine. Actually, I, I was working, um, you know, I, I was working at an ISP with them and, and I was in charge of all the servers there. And there was, there was probably a hundred or so servers there, but I was not, it would, they weren't mine. Like there was yeah. one or two other technical people and I was, you know, I was sort of like the lower man in the totem pole. And then when my, when my future partner, approached me to create something to build something he basically he gave me an opportunity like hey this is you know this is going to be yours technically you know you will own you will own all this you'll be responsible for all this you you, the buck stops with you and that was really exciting to me you know to having access to everything and making the hard decisions and and in my mind it was like second in command for 100 servers or like two servers all to myself and i just like that i just said it just seemed exciting to build it from the ground up and me and have to make all the decisions that's that's cool. So it's kind of funny because back in the nineties, you know, I was I told you I was eight in ninety ninety nineteen ninety eight. Uh, I it was you know when I was ten eleven, you know, I started you know getting more into computers because my uncle was a, a big and he he got Microsoft certified and stuff, and he was one of my favorite uncles. Uh, uh, and he got me into computers, and like you, I used to rip them apart. And he used to, well, actually, he would tear them apart. Show me, and then he would teach me what parts went where. And I think that's what got my love of computers. And you know, ever since then, I've um, I've I've worked in the IT industry. I've you know, I've done my own IT, my own IT business. You know, I actually have in on the other side of this wall a server rack with a bunch of Dell Power Edges that mm-hmm. run that my um entire uh like podcasting like mm-hmm. backups and stuff. And you know, it's it's kind of funny. It's like years ago. My dad always told me, he's like, oh, computers, you know, it's so expensive to have this, that. And there is expensive. Like I buy refurbished uh, power edges because I can't afford the new ones. They're really expensive. It's just like computers. Like I buy new computers, like, you know, this the surface behind me and my computer that I use for podcasting. But when I go to spend on something, I go all out. Like, and, you know, I remember, you know, back when I was doing this, messing around with Windows 98 and 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 all these old parts. I remember I was able to just piece and put pieces together from other computers. Like I had all these Dells and and um, compacts and stuff, and just ripped them apart all the time. And and I remember that you know back then the pricing of things were so much easier. It felt like with certain like things were so more expensive, like hard drives. I'm sure you can attest this. Hard drives were so expensive when you wanted to go upgrade like to a higher speed. And now like a terabyte, you can get a terabyte for almost hundred and something dollars. And you know, watching the tech industry uh, grow uh, over the last thirty uh, something, maybe even twenty years, you know, watching it grow it has been a phenomenal leap. Because I, I'm big in the tech industry. I like watching it grow. I like watching new tech come out, and I, I purchase a, a good majority of it. Um, 
But like, you know, watching someone who built something, you know, back in the dot com era is, is pretty, is pretty fascinating to me because it's like, you know, see all these big companies that started out alongside yours. It's just fascinating to see that you, you have grown into Opti9 and you're still doing what you love today. You know, it's good to see that someone, you know, as they, as they did as a kid now is still doing as an adult, you know, in the industry. So I, I think that's really cool that you're, you're still managing and, and handling tech. Do you, um, I think a side question off that is, do you still like tinker in your spare time, like mess around with the new hardware, make gaming computers or, or, or stuff on the side? Um, I, I don't, Okay. but, but to your point, um, what I'm really doing now is, you know, I'm building solutions, you know, mm-hmm. for a company and, and we are cre- like, we're creating some really cool things. And I get, I, I get, I still get just as excited when we get an idea about something like mm-hmm. we, we launched the security offering a, about six months ago and, you know, the integration was beautiful. We didn't, we didn't have to release any agents. We were able to take something we were already doing and we found like, like another use case for it. And okay. like from a technical, you know, you know, some people say like, you know, coding is like poetry right like from a technical yeah. perspective those things really excite me so my tinkering sort of need is still being met you know at my job and and i'm enjoying it and, and i love to go and evangelize those things and get the word out and and find interesting integrations and but to your point you know back in the 90s you know there was no google um there was no there was no mm-hmm. tech support number you would call there was no um you know you, you had to be really resourceful and you, and if you you needed to want something really bad to get it done. In fact, I, you know, not that I'm proud of it, but I remember when I would get stuck with with things that I couldn't figure out, I'd have to go onto like a chat room for like whatever open source software and and change my name to like some girl's name, and that was the only way that <laughs> would like help me figure something out. And uh, I think today, techs, you know, sometimes they might be you have people that are you have hardcore engineers that are out there. Yeah, that's great. They don't want they don't want help from anybody else. That's that's not a good thing. And then you have people that rely too much on third-party tech support and don't even try to fix things themselves. Yeah. And you got to find the balance and you do need to, you know, being resourceful is a skill that you can try, you can get trained on. Being a good troubleshooter is a skill. Being a good technical writer. You know, I think sometimes people forget about, you know, the soft skills, the tech stuff's great, but these are things that will, will always be important too. Yeah. So can I ask you an off the wall question about tech real quick? Just to mm-hmm. just, uh, so company, there's a company called Framework. I don't know if you've ever heard of Framework. No. Okay. Framework is a is a computer company that's basically trying to do the whole like right to repair thing. So they have this laptop and you can take it apart, you can tinker with it. It's easy to tinker, it's easy to take apart, it's easy to, you know, mess around with. You know, and some laptop companies, like I know my surface, like if I take that sticker off to get to yeah. the, to get to the screws, you're voiding every warranty and you will yeah. not get it fixed. So if I were to put a new S hard drive in that by myself, which I know how to do, I've seen the video. I void the warranty, whereas this company is trying to revolutionize where that's going and and the right to repair and taking things apart. What is your stance on like tinkering in general now that people are saying, oh, you can't tinker with our product because if you tinker with it, it voids our warranty. What is, how does that feel to you? Because it's like, you know, back in the day, you used to, I've done it too, tear apart computers and, and, and you know, you had a compact warranty, they replaced it. Now it's, it's very hard to seem like they don't want to give you those parts. They don't want to give you the ability to do that. They don't want to let you tinker anymore. How do you, how does that make you feel when, when you can't touch or tinker or, or learn? Yeah, I, I, you know, I think that people have to recognize that not everybody learned the same way. For me, mm-hmm. it was not sitting in school. It was getting my hands on something and breaking it. And, and that's how I would learn is by figuring out how to fix it or, or whatever. And I think that there's, 
Yeah, what you're saying, there's a lot of truth. And I just pulled up the website as you're talking. I think yeah. that's a great concept. Um, I mean, by the way, and when I would call Compaq, you know, to get, for warranty, obviously they'd ask me if I touched it and my first answer would be no, right? And so yeah. going back, <laughs> going back to being resourceful, you know, that's, that's a skill that never goes away. But, um, I think it's, it's a fair question. You know, I can see both sides of it. But what's, I think for me, what, what shows up with this is you really need to understand as a consumer, what the responsibility of the vendor is. You know, if the vendor is making a commitment to me to fix this piece of hardware, you know, for the next three years, as long as mm-hmm. I don't open it up, you know, you know, that's an assurance for me. I'm going to respect that. You know, I'm okay yeah. with that. I do think framework looks great if, if you want to tinker. I mean, I, I'm not going to go buy a MacBook if I want to tinker, right? Like with right. hardware. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, I think people don't, I think, again, going back to the whole cloud and assumptions, people don't, they, they don't, they, they make bad assumptions. You, you know, you go, you go buy a, a, an IoT device, like a thermostat for your house. You might just assume that like, oh, I don't have to tinker. You know, my, you know, the company is going to make sure that it's running the latest firmware and it's secure and it's not hackable. Yeah. You know, is that, is that the truth? You know, this, I've been seeing so, I've seen so many scenarios over the years where, you know, someone pays a designer to create a website and then two years later it gets hacked and it's like, is it the designer's fault? No, you paid him to create it, not to maintain it. Is it the hosting company's fault? No, it's it's an app problem. It's your fault, not for not fixing it, but for not knowing what you are responsible for and what to hold the vendors accountable for. Yep. That's the I think that's the best thing that consumers need to do is just ask questions. Yeah. I think that was perfectly answered. That's exactly what kind of answer I was looking for. Um, <clears throat> so thank you for answering that. Uh, Segi, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been such an honor. I really had a fun, uh, fun interviewing you. Um, for those listening to the show, um, all the information, his bio, his, um, links to, to the Opti9 will be available on the website. Um, the website is constantly changing for those who have been on it. We, we're appreciating the web traffic. We're just talking about websites and I'm talking about the website. We have, we've been seeing a flux in, in traffic. We just had so many new people use the guest intake form. So for those who listen or who are signed up as guests, thank you so much for, for signing up and, and reusing our intake form and using the website. And it's been such a great experience getting all the information from the contacts we've been getting and, and, and the, and the messages and the, and the responses to the new website. Um, for those interested in checking it out, it's at www.ittechtalkpodcast.com. You can view the resources like um, sponsorships. You can view the the episodes, all the videos we have uh, from the show currently. Some of them older episodes are not on there. We are still working to edit them. Um, but yes, uh, there's a lot of different opportunities to check out different things. Uh, again, Saggy, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. 